back together. It's better together. God is so good. Well, this morning we'd like to give as much time as we can. We're starting the series on humility and so glad that we just get to sit under some incredible teaching for this next month. But would you just welcome our founding pastor, Steve Wilson. Let's just stand up to our feet. Give him a royal day spring welcome. Oh my goodness. It's nice to be doing a word on humility when I've actually spent the last four months on nothing but humility. So it's kind of fun. Our book is in the final stage. Farley's going to do one more look through and then it should be, we should have it in about a week or two. So that's a good thing. Unless I figure out that this message this morning needs to go in the book and then we <laughs> don't laugh at me Farley. <laughs> oh goodness. The more I study just the nature of humility and what God's asking for, the more convinced I am it's one of the primary keys that we don't use enough. I'm convinced that it's the key to sustaining the move of God. I'm convinced it's the key to unity in the body of Christ. I'm convinced it's the key to us coming into maturity. There are just so many things that we need to grasp what's on God's heart for this. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to talk about relational humility because it's, we've done quite a bit on our response to God, but it's actually in the way we walk out relationships with one another is where it actually works in life. That's where it shows up. That's, that's where it becomes real or not real. And I want to start this morning in James chapter 1 and verse 21. And uh, y'all pray for me this morning. I do not know what's going on. I am low energy today. And I'm usually not a low energy person. Sorry? No, no. No, I, I'm, I'm going to push through, but... Some of you just intercede for me a little bit, if you wouldn't. And uh, I think I've been had so many pieces going on that I've kind of used up the energy I had, and we're going to find it again. By the way, Larry's preaching on Easter, and I can't wait for him to just shout. I believe he's the perfect person to be bringing that word on Easter. I think that's just great. So James chapter 1, verse 21, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. One of the marks of humility is receptivity. If I'm not walking in humility, I find it very difficult to receive, whether it's from the word, whether it's from the Holy Spirit, or whether it's from people around me. We just start shutting down that side of receiving. Um, when we walk in humility, by the nature of the way humility works, you let down your self-protection. And when you let down your self-protection and you stop trying to justify yourself, 
you can actually start hearing what other people are bringing to you because it's taken down the barrier. And too many times in the body of Christ, we are so sure of what we feel that we don't have the willingness to listen to what somebody else is saying if it doesn't come exactly like we think it should be coming. Um, if we're going to fulfill our calling God, we're going to have to find a level of humility before him and before our brothers and sisters. Because it's in that context that iron sharpens iron and we find out we actually need each other and we need to hear each other and we need to figure out why somebody's in the position that they're in. Um, a lot of Sal in my life has been living cross-culturally. And when you live cross-culturally, you're constantly running into things that people do that are different than you do them. And part of growth or part of ministering across a culture is you sit down and listen and find out why that thing is important to them. Um, you know, sometimes it's language, sometimes it's just they don't like foreigners, sometimes whatever. But, I mean, you, you've got to take time to listen and learn. Otherwise, you'll never be able to adapt and minister into another culture. Receiving means to hear, to take in, to learn, and to retain. That's kind of the essence of that word receive. Um, but there's also a component to the Greek word that's really very much like the English word. Uh, our English word receive also has a hospitality component to it. So it's not just receiving and learning, it's receiving, it, receiving in hospitality, receiving in the way we interact with people around us. There's a very strong hospitality quote, uh, component to it. And we see that in First Peter. Let's go there for a minute. All of you clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. So now this isn't the, the, the vertical humility. This is the horizontal humility. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another for God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The grace he's giving here is grace in this vertical context of my relationships with other people. God will give you grace to deal with people if you'll humble yourself. How many of you think you might need just a little bit of grace to deal with some of the people you have to deal with? I mean, that happens through humility. That's the access point to grace. Um, relational humility has three primary pieces that I can find to it. Um, relational humility gives attention to loving people, honoring people, and receiving from people. To me, those are the three strongest components of this relational humility. And God's asking us to clothe ourselves with that kind of response to one another. We believe that the body of Christ is to come into greater unity. It's not going to come into greater unity by everybody believing exactly the same thing. It's going to come into greater unity when we behave in humility toward each other and we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in the process of us growing. The more we focus on putting love in action, the more we see value in another per person. Sometimes 
you've got to see value to be able to hear. Um, I remember Sal and I, we co-pastored a church in Atlanta, Georgia. It was uh, more than 90% African American. And there were some very different views of things that we felt very strongly about. And you find yourself in this tension of just being irritated by somebody else's views. But then you sit down in a room and say, listen, I don't see what you see. Can you please help me see why you're seeing that? Or why you're saying that? Why, where's that coming from? And as they would begin to unpack their heart and, and help you understand, it wasn't necessarily that much different, but there were different things that were prioritized. And the more we did that, the more we were able to walk together in incredible ways. But you've got to, it takes humility for us to get there. Um, the grace that we receive from humility gives us the ability to actually start celebrating some of the difference we see and not just tolerating them. How, ma how many of you have tolerated some of the differences in people around you? Well, we need to move from tolerating to celebrating. Now, that doesn't mean we change the foundations of our faith. It doesn't mean we're challenging the fundamentals, but we, we've got to be in a place where we can hear. Otherwise, we'll never understand and never be able to bring in the wisdom that God wants to bring into a situation. 1 Corinthians 13.9. I switched here to a different translation. It's actually one. Whenever I get into Corinthians, I actually like to use the New Living Translation. Um, a guy by the name of Doug Ose, he was a professor at CBC, had an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. He's now a professor at AGTS. He actually was the Greek scholar on the team that translated First and Second Corinthians in this particular translation. So we've got somebody translating the Greek that is actually so full of the Spirit, encounter the Spirit, that I just, I love the things that he's pulled out of this. Um, so our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. Is this one of those uncomfortable verses to you? Wouldn't you rather know it all? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't feel more comfortable if that verse wasn't there? Now, some commentaries suggest that the word knowledge in that verse is actually referring back to the gift of word of knowledge. I don't believe it is. Because in, in just in chapter 12, when Paul talks about the word of knowledge, he, he, he uses a word gnosis, which is factual knowledge. And uh, basically, the word of knowledge is a fragment of factual information that the Holy Spirit gives us to break open a situation. So it, the word he used is consistent with what we understand about the word of knowledge. But, but in this, just a few verses later, he uses a different word for knowledge. And the word he uses is gnosko, which is revelation knowledge and knowledge gained from experience. So basically, this verse is saying every bit of knowledge you've gained from experience is partial and incomplete. 
How does it make you feel? See, we, we, really, we really don't like that idea because we'd like to be the one that has all the answers and has it all together and we can present the full picture of truth. But Scripture's saying that everything you've learned is partial, imperfect, fragmentary, and isolated. You're getting real quiet on me. So, the challenge is that that means some people around you may be seeing something you don't see. If everything I know is part is incomplete, I think somebody wrote a book, Incomplete by Design. I can't remember who that was, but... <laughs> It was one of the, this was one of the tenets of that book. But um, somehow, if we can accept the fact that everything we know isn't all there is to know, then when we get around people that see it different than we do, we actually get hungry to see what they see rather than be irritated by what they're not seeing, by getting frustrated because they don't see it like I see it. Do you see how the body of Christ needs us to come into unity? Fivefold ministry. It's one of those incredible designs of God. But the apostle, by just definition, by way he thinks or she thinks, they think expansion. They, they look at something and how can we make this thing grow? How can we connect it? How can we build it? There's that mindset. The, the prophet, now these, these are generalizations. Please understand that. For the sake of a sermon that I don't want to do on fivefold ministry. Um, the, the prophet thinks direction. They're pointing in a direction. The evangelist thinks addition, the pastor thinks cohesion, the teacher thinks information. It's a perspective with which we approach the body of Christ and which we approach ministry. The problem with that is they're all very different. I remember when Sally and I joined the team in Oklahoma, be almost 30 years ago now, probably is 30 years. 92, yeah, 30 years ago now. Um, we, we felt the Lord send us out to be part of that apostolic team. We got there, and we liked a lot of what we saw. We weren't all that thrilled with some of what we saw. But at the end of a couple weeks meeting and being in all these meetings, we really felt the Lord say to us that we were supposed to connect with that team, be a part of it. And so we had a meeting with the key guys and sat down and said, listen, we feel like the Lord says we're supposed to be here with you, but we have a really important question we have to ask. If we join you, do we have to be like you? Their response was, if you weren't different, we wouldn't need you. That gave us the liberty to be who we were created to be by God and actually bring an influence of a different flavor of gift 
And they were big enough to allow that different flavor to touch them. Church, that's how the body of Christ comes into unity. It doesn't come into unity because we get all of our little ducks in a row. It comes into unity because we treat each other with humility. We, we treat each other like they have something of value, even if I don't fully understand it or see it. When we walk in humility, we accept the fact that we don't know it all. I knew so much more when I was 20 than I do today. <laughs> Man, I had it all figured out. I knew exactly, 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 exactly. And the older you get, the realize how much less you know than you think you know. That's part of age. It's part of maturity. Is that you recognize other people have pieces that you don't have. Um, each, get, each of these get, absolute get, or the absolute prophetic fivefold gifts reflects something of the nature of God. But they all are just a little bit different. This is one of the best illustrations of that that I know. It's like a, like a disco ball. I wish I could have put a really big one up in the middle here. But I had, I had, I had to settle for that little one. But just, just focus it on it for a minute. Every single facet is a reflection of something. And when you get around different ministry gifts, every one of those gifts is reflecting a facet of the nature of God. But no individual flat facet is complete without all the other facets. And it causes us to begin to think differently about the way we belong together and about the way we hear from each other and about the way we behave toward each other. We come to understand that different isn't necessarily wrong. It's just different. Now, we're not talking about the foundations of Jesus' resurrection and death. We're, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about all that other stuff that we get so preoccupied with. A guy by the name of Marco Antony de Dominus. My Latin pronunciation is terrible. He actually wrote this, in essentials unity, in doubtful matters liberty, in all things charity. This guy's not very well known because he was a heretic. Um, he was counted a heretic because he stood in between the Catholic and the, or really the Eastern and Western church at that time. And he tried to bridge the gap between these two huge church organizations. And uh, they both called him a heretic because he was trying to bridge something that he believed needed to be bridged. He's very fortunate. He actually was um, tried as a heretic exactly 10 years after the last heretic was executed for being a heretic. They had just given up executing heretics 10 years before this guy. So he actually lived a little bit longer. The challenge we have is what are essentials? 
What are doubtful matters? We can actually spend our life arguing over what fits into which of these categories. But I think Marco had something here. You know, Jesus came into an environment where Ten Commandments had been given to Moses. And by the time Jesus got there, it had morphed into 613 commandments. We have this amazing ability to complicate what God makes simple. And unity in the body doesn't come from us getting all the complicated doctrine worked out. And one of the great parts of doing a master's or a, a doctorate in, in religious studies or whatever is the opportunity to sit in a room with people that think differently than you and kind of hammer out. And what you find is in those environments, you're, you're often strengthened in what you believe, but you also hear what other people are saying that are different than you. Can the body of Christ ever be big enough to do that? I suggest that the key is humility. I suggest there are a lot of things that we fight and divide over that really, in the end, are not that important. And that God's calling us to walk in a way of unity with each other that allows us to actually begin to hear and listen to what other people are saying. on a few verses. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. I love the way they translated this verse. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. Won't it be fun when we know Completely like he knows us. But the key here is that there's a couple words that are really important in here. Um, King James and some of the other translations use dimly or darkly. We look in the mirror dimly or darkly. That word dimly or darkly literally means to close and open the eyes or to open and close the eyes. The best English translation of that action is to blink. So take a minute, look at this over here, and just blink real fast. You're seeing fragments of the fragment. And if I don't have friends around me that blink on a different sequence than I do, we're never going to actually see it completely. The whole body of Christ is seeing these these reflections of truth that are, they're, they're, all, they're all part of who he is. But we only see the bigger picture when we share with each other what we're seeing. There's something profound that happens when we begin to relate in that kind of way with each other. We all have blind spots. The challenge is I can't tell you to see your blind spot. can't. 
A blind spot's a blind spot. The only way you can see your blind spot is if you're willing to ask somebody else to help you see what you don't see. I told you about us coming into relationship with the team in Oklahoma. And it was actually, a lot, we had a lot of fun together. But I would get a call about once a month in the early days. And the call would be something like this. Steve, why did you say that? Or why did you do that? Why would you counsel that person that way? And it wasn't a call of criticism. It was a call of, I wouldn't do that, but you did it. So I need to understand where you're coming from to do that. Can you hear what I'm talking about? If we can't do that with each other as the body of Christ, we will never come into unity. Over the years, those calls have been less and less frequent. And I must admit, I made several calls the other way. Sam, why would you do that? Why would you say that? And he'd explain what he saw. And I realized he was seeing something that I couldn't see. But through his eyes, I could see what I couldn't see. And I came to value a perspective that was different than mine because I realized they were seeing things I wasn't seeing. Body of Christ, it's time to grow up. We're coming into a place as a, as a body of people where there is an awakening birthing in the earth, whether we, we yet see it fully or not. You just heard the team from... Marionville, we, we saw incredible things. Saw something on, actually the first night of the crusade, there was a word of knowledge given by somebody, I don't remember who gave it now, it doesn't matter. Um, I think we had eight or nine people stood up for that word of knowledge, and all but one were healed. We see that overseas, but to see it in our nation, to see it in our nation, to see that rising ebb of breakthrough beginning to happen. Um, the person that didn't get healed on the first night got healed the second night. Um, we went after it again and they got healed the second night. So 100% of that word of knowledge. Guys, can you get that? Jesus saw that regularly. We don't even imagine for it but God's in the business of doing it. Is that thing too distracting to you? So we get quite distracted by what other people are doing and saying sometimes. Second part of that verse is that phrase, puzzling reflections. The word there that's used, the Greek word, is the Greek word enigma which comes straight over into our language as enigma with an almost identical meaning. There's not often that it's identical meaning, but in this case it is. It's a puzzle, a riddle, a mystery. Um, it's something that's hard to solve or figure out. There are things in the word that are puzzling. If you haven't been around this long, that may, you may struggle with that. 
But I mean, there's been, through, throughout church history, there have been camps forming about ways we think. I mean, in the Reformation, one of the deepest camps was the Armenian versus Calvin camp. And uh, I think they both have truth in them. And just somehow, we don't see like God sees. And we have a finite mind trying to understand an infinite God. And sometimes the infinite mind of God is bigger than my finite mind. And yet we want to get it all into terms that we can understand. I had a real advantage and I went to engineering. I did my engineering degree in Longview, Texas. And R.G. Letourneau, who started the school, didn't have a theology degree. Um, so he hired two theologians to teach us theology. One that he hired was a five out of five Calvinist. If you don't know that, what that is, don't worry about it. The other theologian he hired was a five out of five Armenian. And so as students were bouncing between these two major theological divides, it was incredibly helpful because you can see what you do believe and you can see what you don't and then you go next door and they help you understand. And, and I came out with a very different view of those divisions because you actually sit under and are taught by the two sides and be like, you know what, both you guys have truth. But we've just taken the Ten Commandments to the 613 and now it doesn't make sense anymore. Y'all still with me? How many of you were raised in kind of a more Calvinistic environment? I was for sure. Wow, that's cool. Quite a few. How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay, don't worry about it. If you don't, please don't go recreate that division. It's pretty much dead now. But uh, yeah, sorry about that. A little bit of history had to come in. I think I have, boy, I don't have time yet. Skip that picture if you would. Thanks, Debbie. That word, that verse says that all that I know, go back, I think it goes back to that verse on my slides. All that I know is partial and incomplete. God help us as a body of people to be humble enough to realize that we don't know it all. To be realized that we need each other to help us find what we can't see. To help us become hungry to build relationships with people that may see it a little bit different than we do. Not because we feel like we have to change, but because we need to grow. And you'll grow by getting around people and allowing them to affect you and influence you. Back a few chapters before this, Paul makes this statement. 1 Corinthians 2.9. That is what scripture means when it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul's quoting from Isaiah 64 to make a point and to 
emphasize something that he's been laying out through this whole chapter. And to understand exactly why he's saying that, we need to go back and look at the chapter. He's basically saying, no mind, no eye, no ear, no one alone can fully grasp or fully understands what's needed right now. But when we come together, we can find that. There's a, there's a common ground when we come together. And so what Paul does, go back to, toward the beginning of this chapter, he, makes, he starts this argument with this statement. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's he doing? He's getting down to the basics. He's getting down to the essentials. He's getting rid of all the periphery, the, the arguments, the challenges he's facing. He, he's writing a corrective to a group of people who have prided themselves on their gift, but they've, in the process, created disunity. So the context of 1 Corinthians, he's writing to bring a correction to this environment that, that he's encountering. And he does it, he starts by saying, when I'm with you, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stick with the basics. Jesus and him crucified. You know what? The body of Christ can unify around that. The body of Christ can find common ground when the center piece is the mission of Jesus. Too often we're choosing to let peripheral things divide us when we really need to be focusing on the main thing. As a, as a body is dayspring from the very beginning of this church, we felt the Lord instructed us to unite around the mission of Jesus, not to unite around doctrine, not to unite around eschatology, not to reunite around those things that can be debated. I don't know if you've been around many of those discussions, but Ray and I were talking the other day, and he said the more he studied this, the more he realizes that you can actually argue two or three points effectively, or two or three positions effectively. And whenever I can argue different positions effectively, I need to not use that as the mechanism to divide. And we have the good Baptist folks in the room, history that eternal security becomes one of the foundational doctrines. We have some good Pentecostals in the room where that's not a foundational doctrine to them. Uh, it's something else. It's different. Then we have a whole bunch of people that came to Christ not knowing either of those terms, and they don't care. Somehow the body of Christ has to be big enough to embrace those differences without stumbling over it. Now, yes, have good discussions. Sit down and talk about what you believe and just... just most of the time, I find that when I have those kind of discussions, 
I get a value for the other person, but I also get reinforced in some of the things that I know. Sometimes I'm with somebody that challenges some of the things I know and I walk away thinking, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I knew. It's actually good for us. Yeah. Verse 4, the same chapter. My message is not in persuasive words, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why did he say that? Because I'm not trying to persuade you just with intellectual argument. I want the Holy Spirit and his power to be the thing that demonstrates the nature of God. And it's time, church, that we allow the demonstration of power to bypass all the arguments and all the stuff, not just outside the church, but in the church. So that we allow God to be who he is. Human wisdom comes from my human senses filtered through reason and logic. It's not bad, but it's limited until I encounter the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And then that jars us out of the way that we think and the way that we respond. Power of God bypasses human wisdom and focuses on his supernatural power. I believe we're coming into one of the greatest days of manifestation of his power that we've ever witnessed. We, we see the first signs of it. Um, there have been pockets of it around the nation, but it's becoming more widespread that God is at work through the people of God, not, not through big ministries, not through just the superstars, but through the body of Christ going into the mall and doing the stuff. And we're seeing the effectiveness of that that's beyond anything we've imagined. Um, Jack talked about the school. I encourage you, if you're hungry to walk in the supernatural, go through the, go through the ministry school. Deal with some of those ways we have of thinking that disables us so that we can begin to see God do more. Verse 5 in the same chapter. So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom or on human wisdom, but on the power of God. The faith that is going to bring in the harvest is a faith based on the power of God, not just on our human wisdom. And as long as human wisdom is the foundation, we're always going to get in arguments about who's right and who's wrong. Always, 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 always. I don't think I've ever heard a message preached at Dayspring, including those I've preached, where I agree with every single thing that was said. I've gone back and listened to the tapes of some things I said 10 years ago and thinking, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I said that. We're growing up, church. We're growing up. And we've got to give people the room to grow as we grow. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit holds the key to unity in the body if we walk in relational humility. That's the nature of this thing. 
If we'll walk in humility, the Holy Spirit will work on drawing us together. You know, they're all in one accord in the upper room. That's a miracle to start with. Um, the Holy Spirit comes into that atmosphere. But it's the Holy Spirit actually that creates that atmosphere. Um, I, don't have, I don't have time to go further with this. We'll probably do another one. If you have your communion, grab that, would you? If you don't, put your hand up and somebody will bring one of these to you. I'm going to be glad when we get out of this and back to passing the tray personally, but just just a personal thought. Nate, would you help her take her top off that? Thanks. I usually half open mine before I get up there and I forgot. The next session I was, section I was going to go to was Paul speaking about we have the mind of Christ. And I want you to jump down to that Zach Prunin quote, if you would. We have as much of the mind of Christ as we have of his humility. We have as much of the mind of Christ as we have of his humility. The mind of Christ doesn't work outside of humility. That's, that's the strength of it. That's the foundation of it. And I felt like as we took communion today, we needed to invite a new level of humility among us. Might not be distracting you, but it's distracting me now. <laughs> the bread is a phenomenal symbol of his body broken, but in the act of his body broken, we actually become whole as a part of his body. And so as we take this bread, if you get that out and get ready, as we take this this morning, I want us to just take a few minutes and say, God, I really want relational humility. I really want to be able to hear my brothers and sisters through a lens of value and not through a lens of condemnation. I really want to learn to hear somebody that has a different perspective and not immediately just shut them out, but to be able to hear what they see that I'm not seeing. Lord, give us that kind of grace as a body of people. We humble ourselves and we receive the grace to walk in ever-deepening relationships. Forgive us where we've grasped onto one thing and we've made that the thing. I love that song we sang. <laughs> Perfect song for this message today. Now, you are my one thing. Father, help us to keep the one thing, the one thing. And not to get distracted by so many things that we miss our brothers and sisters. So Father, we just thank you for your body. We thank you for the unity that comes from your blood. Receive your body now with joy and anticipation and expectancy.
we choose to humble ourselves and allow you to draw us deeper into fellowship with one another. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Let's eat it. Scripture says, then he took a cup. That cup was one of the cups of Passover, probably the third cup, the cup of blessing. He said, this is the new covenant written in my blood, a new way of dealing with you. For it's my righteousness that you receive by faith. That's the righteousness you stand in. So, Father, we come right now, and we're not asking you to humble us, but we're choosing to clothe ourselves with humility. And we receive this blood of the new covenant as just an acknowledgement of our desperate need for deeper fellowship with you. So, Father, thank you for your gift and for what you've done. We receive it together in Jesus' name. Could I have some of the ministry team come up? My invitation for ministry today is actually real simple. It's an invitation to humility. It's an invitation to acknowledge that we don't know it all, but that we really need the Holy Spirit to help us value people, and especially to value somebody that sees it just a little bit different than me. So could we stand up together? I know we're right on time here for the kids but I want to take a minute, and if, if you're really making that stand this morning, I want you to come and just stand at the front. If you need help making that stand, would you come to one of these ministry teams and ask them to pray for you? Lord Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. We celebrate you this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I probably messed with some of your theology this morning. I really hope so. But I'm hungry for the body of Christ to step in a season of valuing each other that's beyond anything we've experienced up until now. So Holy Spirit, come. Move in our hearts, work in our, work in our minds. We want the mind of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.
Come, Lord Jesus. As you're down the front, just put your hands out in front of you just to receive. Lord Jesus, we don't know how to do everything you're asking us to do. But Lord, we're willing for you to work on our hearts and draw us into a deeper relationship with one another. To give us a value for one another that goes beyond anything we've seen or understood. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. How many in the room came in feeling a confusion in your mind this morning, but you're now feeling your mind clearer? Can you just acknowledge if you're feeling that? Several. Sometimes all the stuff swirling around us creates such confusion. But brethren, we have the mind of Christ. Something happens when we walk together that's bigger than anything we do walking alone. So Holy Spirit, reinforce that in us in Jesus' name. If you need somebody to pray for you, just come up to one of these teams. If not, just reach out to the person next to you and begin to pray for them and minister to them, love on them. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus.